0: This program is sponsored by Amplified Peace.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Amplified Peace. We are all about exploring how we can listen, learn, and live differently in this crazy world. Together, we want to discover the impact of empathy, the strength of unity, the power of love, and the beauty of humanity. I'm your host, Lisa Dernigan, and today I have a unique Privilege and opportunity to talk with my good friend, Pastor David Wade, who is the pastor of Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Mesa, Arizona. And David, there's so many things I can say about you, but I'm just going to say a few things so people kind of get an idea of who they're listening to. This great man. Um, Mount Calvary Baptist Church is the oldest predominantly black church in Mesa. And this historic church was founded in 1918, which is amazing. Pastor Wade is a United Way board member and serves as a board member of First Things First, a foundation developing quality early child, child care. He is a third generation pastor, and I am just so proud to call David my friend and my neighbor. I love, when, I love when you zip down the street sometimes and honk your horn and Cal and I get to wave to you and it just brightens our day. So David, welcome to the podcast.
2: Lisa, I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of this wonderful ministry that God has uh, blessed you to give leadership to. And certainly our family friendship uh, means much to us. And our churches are excited about what we're doing together in the community.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when you've come and shared with um, with our church, people have fallen in love with you. And you have always you've just spoken the truth in such a beautiful way and with a lot of enthusiasm. I love you know bringing bringing the black culture to our <laughs> to our church was so great, and people just responded so well and I love that uh, sometimes people go and visit your church, which is so yes. great yes, it's because we are doing this life together, and we're mm-hmm. one family, and so it is beautiful to get to do ministry and to get to do life together. well, I shared a few facts about you, but that doesn't really say who you are, so fill in some some of the um the spots there with who you are, not just what you've done, but who are you?
2: David Wade is a very simple young man who loves God, who loves church, and loves the community in which I pastor. I have a passion for preaching. Um, I, I I can't help myself. I try and find ways to be soft, tender, but I get excited about sharing God's word. Uh, that, that's a passion I have. But then I also have a passion for the community which I pastor in. Uh, The area where my church is considered to be one of the poorest areas in all of the East Valley. And I think that there's a lot of disenfranchisement whereby people who need something more than just the church. uh, We have um, during the days when I served with uh, First Things First, I got a chance to see how a lot of the um, after school providers went out of business because the children, uh, it cost. And when Jan Brewer made a decision to take away so many of the opportunities, we found that there are children that never get outside of the Mesa area. And we want to be able to enlighten and explore some things that help children see that the church is a welcoming station, but it's also a station where we can expose them to things outside the box. And that's what I am. I I am a supporter of wanting to see people excel and especially children. I love kids. And uh, because I love kids, I want to see kids have the greatest opportunities they can have in life. And we as a church community ought to be able to help thrust them into some of those areas.
1: I, I love your holistic approach to ministry, like caring for the whole person yes. and caring for children. Um, and we've got to, there. They're the future, but they're the future now, not just yep. in the fu- future, right? And right. how do we love them well and see them and raise them to to experience life differently and sure. pass that on to their children and their ch- children? Because um, we're really about generational ministry in life, what right. we do. It has so many ripple effects. Um, can you share, uh, you know, we're kind of coming up to celebrating Martin Luther King, um, his anniversary anniversary. Um, And, you know, he was just 39 years old when he was assassinated, excuse me, 52 years ago on April 4th, 1968. And I remember that as I'm dating myself, but I was very, very young. But I remember just the sadness in our home and the sadness on the news. And I didn't really understand it. And, you know, just... As I've gotten into my own work with peacemaking and what does that mean? You know, a lot of his teachings have impacted and informed me and how I see life and how I try to live life and how do I try to amplify the values of peacemaking through the lens of Jesus's teachings on loving and and humanity. From your perspective, you've grown up grandfather, father, being a pastor, um, they're living during the time and they're pastoring at the same time. MLK is doing it. How has his teachings, his life, his example impacted you, your family? And what are some things you've seen that maybe we haven't seen and, and don't understand about the teachings in the life of MLK and the ripple effects today?
2: You know, one of the problems that I have um, with, um, we celebrate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And a lot of times we don't tag the fact that they earned doctorate. And uh, from Crozier. And then uh, within that, uh, Martin King was not just a drum major for justice. He's a pastor, but he was a father. Mm-hmm. And we take so often uh off the gloves for lack of a better phrase. And if I were to ask 99 percent of white America, what was Martin King's favorite gospel song? I don't think one percent would even know but all of the songs that are attributed to Dr. King are all secular songs uh Stevie Wonder Happy Birthday and then the Commodores with their song uh on this idea of reflecting on Martin and Malcolm but my problem is Martin King was a preacher every day of the week he 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 lived for preaching and if we hear sermons of Martin King, even today, they have some ripple effect that can challenge to help change the adjustment of the mindset of people. Martin King was not just about this idea of blacks being treated fair. He wanted the total man when it became an opportunity for them to march for freedom, uh, for opportunities to vote. It wasn't just black people that were trying to vote you had the native americans that were not privy to vote and then you had the latino community that was not as large but they were not given opportunities like some of our euro brothers and sisters and i think one of the problems that we have in the in the world is that we do not deem martin king just as a drum major for justice he wanted people as a whole to have the opportunity to have some of the rights that everybody else had, and it didn't. It doesn't come out that way. That's number one. Then the second thing is um, when we talk about, and I said it uh, uh, with Cal, and that is, if I were to ask us what is the most famous sermon Martin King ever preached, everybody's going to say, "I Have a Dream." Now, Lisa, I am, and anybody that's listening on Radio Land, look it up. That's not the name of that sermon.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was not a speech because Martin King didn't give lectures, he preached the gospel. Now, he had a social approach to it, and he brought Jesus and the gospel of social justice in it together. He intertwined it. It was interlaced with Jesus and justice. And when we talk about it, we say, I have a dream. Now, every person that's listening, go to Google, and you will find that the title of that sermon was not, I have a dream, It is literally a call to consciousness. And that was Martin King's whole approach was if people were going to have a freedom opportunity, if they were going to have a privilege like everybody else. One of the things that has to change is the consciousness of man, because we were looking that as a white individual, as opposed to a black, we were not entitled to the kinds of privileges, and in order for us to be able to have access to that, we have to change our conscience. And most of the people in the world today still have not changed their consciousness about the equality and the injustices that are going on in the world. And Martin's oh. whole approach was, hey, listen, we got to change our conscious, And how do we do it? We got to first of all love the Lord. If we don't love God, how can we, in fact, see how God wants to change the world with the gospel? If the gospel is going to change the minds of people, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If my heart is saying, you're not entitled, you're not privileged, you cannot change. And the love of Jesus gives us the privilege to make some changes. We've got to do um, what I consider. I don't use the word change anymore. I use the word upgrade. Everything mm. around us in society is upgrading. Telephones, computers, systems, all that stuff. Every six months to a year, something is upgrading. So if I gave you a 386 computer today and we live in a Pentium Plus society, then what we're saying is it's antiquated. So we got to make some upgrading.
1: I love even just relanguaging that right to upgrading yes. and yes. changing. You're right. And and change, when we hear that word changes, it's hard. It kind of creates right. some little tension and fear inside of us because right. I don't want to change. And what does change look like? But when you say upgrade,
2: it takes the tension out.
1: It really does. Um, such, such, you know, when you talk about his speech, I have a dream, you know what I, Find fascinating about that too, because like you said, he never intended to Mm -hmm. say that and to go there. And I think it was Mihala Jackson that was standing behind him. Tell us about the dream. Tell us about the dream, Martin. And I love, first of all, so many things about that, because then he just he just launched into that, right? Right. He was he was in the moment. Mm God had inspired him and he just was listening. And then I loved how Mahela from behind had the courage to use her voice. Like God was prompting her. Mm-hmm. to say, tell him, mm-hmm. and she speaks out, and then he says, and you're right, it was never intended to be that, right. but how just listening to the moment and to the spirit mm-hmm. and, and how it became that. I, I always find, you know, sometimes the backstory we don't know. Like right. you said, we hear one part of a story, and we build the right. whole story around it, right. and it's what's really interesting. Talk about injustice. Um, you know, I one of his quotes is, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Um, where do you today as a, as a black man, as a black preacher, um, pastoring your church, um, and very engaged in the community. That's one of the things I so admire about you. You are really in the community. You're friends with, you know, the chief of police, you're friends with, um, people of influence just to serve you. You have a heart to serve. Where do you see Injustice today being manifested that maybe we're not aware of, from your I position,
2: think, you know one of the things that I believe that is very difficult for for me um, is I've just used one issue, this marijuana issue. Uh, street peddlers all over all over the country, wherever they are, there were street peddlers with marijuana. Now. We have taken what we called a crime and within the crime that is being committed by selling dime bags or however much they are, because I, I, I'm not a purchaser, nor am I for or against what they're doing today. But my challenge is, uh, society has seen that a lot of money is made in marijuana. So what do we do? We legalize it. But my challenge is the very people to whom have been incarcerated are being treated like third-class citizens from a judicial perspective, and that is they are now incarcerated, being taken off the street. Now, the American uh, legislators have, in fact, approved selling marijuana. you got stores set up, but these fellows are still sitting in jail. Now, the flip side is while they are uh, being incarcerated, They are making money off of their incarceration, nine to $18,000 a day in private prisons. Why not take these young men and turn around what we call criminalization? Give them some opportunities to work in these dispensaries, give them a honest living whereby they can be able to provide for their families and not allow people to just uh, receive monies off of the hinges of things that they called a crime. And that that's one. Then we have the, the police opportunities. Now, I am in full support of the police department and the chief of our, our city, but there are some officers that are not always as nice, just like you don't have always good attorneys, good doctors, and good engineers. Uh, there's some bad apples, but we have got to be able to see that it's not right to physically assault people who have not done a crime or we lie about things that happen. And, you know, there, there's expulsion, but it ought to be fair when it comes to how we are treated. I'll give you a case in point. I was so embarrassed one that I'd flown home from preaching in Atlanta. And when I came home, a police officer was coming uh, north off the 32nd i was going over the bridge the guy turns around and pulls me over right in front of you and cal's house oh my gosh and you won't believe the reason why he pulled me over he said one light bulb was lighter than the other Mm. now i hadn't broken any crime then he asked me where are you going i said i'm going to my house uh where do you live i said right around the corner And I'm saying, Lord, please don't let uh, Lisa and Cal come outside and see (laughs) that they want to talk that the police got the lights flat. And I mean, literally right in front of your house. And then all he did after suggesting that one light was more brighter than the other, he let me go. Well, that was no reason to pull me over. Right. These are the kind of things that we see that give a bad light on the police force. Mm hmm. But it wasn't a Mesa police officer. It was a Gilbert PD. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now, had it been a Mesa police officer that pulled me over, he's familiar with me. He Mm. knows who I am. He knows that I am in support. I'm on the team as a chaplain for the police department. I'm an advocate for the police in my community. I don't let people run down. But it makes it difficult when we have officers that take matters in their own hands. Those are things that are unjust. And we got to find a way to make the playing field level for everybody. Everybody ought to be, uh, tracked. Everybody ought to be, uh, pulled over for the same thing. Don't just because I either drive a nice car, I live in a nice neighborhood, or I'm driving something that somebody else doesn't have. Not that that's the point, but treat everybody fair. And I think there's injustice in the legal system. We get more, uh, severe sentences than, the Caucasian community. But then the the flip side is when it comes to this matter of white-collar crime, who's the one that pays very little for white-collar crimes? It ain't us. Take a look at the records. We spend more time. We only make up 18 to 20 percent of the United States, but 51 percent incarceration. And then when we get them there, we don't do anything that would help rehabilitate them that when they come out that the world has changed mm-hmm. we have to do a better job in loving people to love justice whereby it's fair for everybody
1: you're so right it and it, go back to your word we have to upgrade yes and what does that look like and I know for me personally um several years ago and Cal and I've been on this journey but it's like I had to learn some of these things I had to for myself and so I engaged and went down um, and visited some of the southern states, talked mm-hmm. with with leaders, talked with people to do my own work, right, mm-hmm. and create an education. And it is an education. When you truly start listening and talking to people and seeing the things that have happened, the historical narrative, that has led into the realities of today. And sure. when you start understanding that and seeing that it's just not injustices in the past, it's continuing today. Right because of some of the the things that were set in place 150, 200, 300 years ago. And we're still, um, allowing some of that to happen. Right. Um, what would you, you know, we talk about this, how do we truly, it goes down to what we have in common is Jesus. How do we love and respect each other's humanity, um, Honor the divinity that is in with each person. We, sure. we each one have the the uh, fingerprints of God in our lives. Doesn't matter our skin color, our Correct. background, where we come from. How do we truly start seeing people as God sees people from your perspective? And what would you want to say to, um, to people like me that have white skin that go, I wish you could see us this way, or I wish here's what would we see would be great for healing some of the divides that are still there. We might not call it out, but there's still these divides and still injustices. There's injustice on every planet. It's sure. not just a black white issue right. or there, there's so many injustices, but let's particularly on this one, from your perspective, what would you like to see or how can you see that as, as a listener out there going, what is something we can do to use our voice in a respectful, honoring way that is healing and not destructive
2: Engage in conversations that are uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that is uncomfortable is when we talk about this idea of entitlement. We think that the ice is colder on the other side. And I think the challenge more than anything is we are afraid to confront truth. Mm -hmm. And to confront truth is very honest, a honest assessment of recognizing that if Lisa and I are walking in the same direction if you didn't know me as a black man, you are already going to uh, presuppose that I'm some criminal. I am this guy that may knock you upside the head and take your purse. And God forbid, it's just you and me on an elevator. You're going to clutch your purse. You're going to be looking over your shoulder with some type of uh, fear. And the whole point is, I am the nicest guy you'll want to find because mm-hmm. that's not who I am. But the stereotype says that most people who we do not know, we're suspect. We are uncomfortable. And just being in the presence of the same person and you don't know them in a close proximity, the first thing you're going to think is they're going to rob me. They're going to do some harm to me. Just the stereotype doesn't have to be fact, but we've got to get into a conversation to stop acting like racism and injustice is not true. It's not happening in 2024. It is. And unless we are honest and unless we are truthful, that, hey, we cannot pay for what our forefathers did, good, bad, or indifferent. But what we can do is start a conversation to see how we can build relationships where I would invite you to my home. You invite me to your home. if we can't do that then to start with we are not thinking that there is a peaceable way that we can motivate a conversation to just know people. One of the things we don't do is we don't want to know people. We see them, but that's it but Cal and Lisa has done something and I want every listener to hear me and that is Cal preached about something that he believed and that was he was talking about this matter of coming together, loving people beyond the bounds. And what did he do? He took an initial step, number one, to have an uncomfortable conversation. The conversation that started moved to a place to where I'm not going to just have a conversation. I'm going to put my conversation into practice. He invited a black pastor to preach at a white, predominantly white church. And when that happened, guess what it did? It gave the urban community, the black church, a fingerprint of appreciation to say, hey, listen, he is not as close-minded as what people make him out to be. So what do we do? We invite each other, we exchange pulpits, we have church gatherings where I get a chance to meet people, people get a chance to meet me. And until we start the idea of inviting people that don't look like us, don't smell like us, don't think like us, Jesus had a not circumscribed gospel, but he had any man's gospel. If any man come after me, if any man confess, those kind of things are important to us. We've got to have a uncomfortable conversation that we might be able to engage and interact with your culture and my culture that we can find some common ground to demonstrate visibly what the love of Jesus is all about.
1: Mm, I love it so much. You're speaking my heart. It really is about proximity. Yes. Like getting and being present with each other. And you're right. Having uncomfortable conversations. I Many times we fear saying the wrong things. So we mm-hmm. don't do anything. We right. don't say something. And how, what would you say? We just we just have like a minute left. What would you say to someone that's like, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. So what would you say to that?
2: Even in conversation that may seem uncomfortable, first of all, find some common ground of conversation and then ask, what is your perspective on A, B, or C? A lot of times we say stuff in ignorance all because we just don't know what to say rather than, hey, what is your perspective? What is your thought? What is your opinion? By opening the door for conversation, it takes the the bite out of, well, why would you say that to me? You don't know th- th- those kind of things when you ask a person's opinion, you get their perspective, and a lot of times we miss the opportunity because we don't understand people's perspective.
1: Uh, you're you're so right. How do we lean in with curiosity, not right. like not leading with our opinion or right. our perspective, but asking the other, "What right. do you think? What has informed you in in this journey, David? I could talk to you forever." And we're going to, I want to have you on again. Thank sure. you for sharing your heart, your perspective, for being the leader and the man of God that you are. I couldn't respect you more. As always, thanks for being part of this podcast and the Amplified Peace community. For more information on living as a peacemaker in today's world, connect with us at AmplifiedPeace.com. And you can follow us on all social media. Shalom.
0: This program was sponsored by Amplified Peace.